We are once again back in our consecutive expository series on the Gospel of Luke. And the title of this morning's message, we don't happen to have that uh, um, title uh, as we usually do, but it is The Friend of Sinners. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Once again, I remind you, hear the word of the Lord with careful attention. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? 
And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, we've heard your word read. But Lord, as always, we, we will not gain from it. We will not profit from the word unless you send the help of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of your ascended son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, guide us. Lead us in to learning more about the friend of sinners and the one that can make us greater than the greatest of all the Old Testament saints because of your great salvation. And we praise you in Jesus' name and ask these things. Amen. You all have, of course, heard of Doubting Thomas. One of the 12 of Jesus' disciples, he's known for being Doubting Thomas. Not sure he deserves all of that, but that's who he's known as. But today, we're going to learn about another doubter. Doubting John, a.k.a. John the Baptizer. You see, this is very surprising, actually. When you consider who John was and how he lived his life, if there was ever a man that was certain about God, it was John. It was John. From the time he was in his mother's womb, John the Baptist was set apart to bear witness to the coming Christ. And he was fearless and bold in that. Where, where do doubts come from? And how is it possible that somebody as strong as John could be called almost Doubting John? You see, sometimes where doubts come from, sometimes they come when we're under spiritual attack. The scriptures make it clear. Jesus did battle with demons and the forces of Satan. His children are not spared that either. We can be under spiritual attack. And sometimes 
doubt can come from that. Or maybe we've given in to destructive patterns of sin and no longer are we able to think clearly and, and under appreciate righteousness and spiritual things. We've gotten confused. We've lost a sense of what it means and we have doubts. Often doubts are associated with how God runs his world. How God, as the sovereign king of the universe, he's in control. But you know what? Sometimes we don't like the way he's running his universe, if we're honest. And often our doubts come when we're disappointed with God because he didn't come through for us in the way we expected and want him to. When God fails to grant us the healing, the prosperity, the family situation that we prayed for so earnestly, we're often tempted to doubt whether or not God really is in control. And if he is, does he really care? Because he didn't give us what we wanted. Whatever the reason, doubt is more common than many people think. And it can happen to even the greatest of saints and sinners. Now, here's our outline for today. The Messiah, the messenger, and the message. The Messiah, the messenger, and the message. The Messiah, basically, where we see that unfolding, is in verses 18 through 23. Now, so far, recently in this series, we've been observing Jesus on a tear. I mean, Jesus is on fire bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this broken and crooked world. Jesus has been expanding exponentially through his teaching and his healing and his exorcisms of evil spirits. He's been doing all kinds of amazing supernatural things, miracles like no one had ever and no prophet before had done what Jesus was doing. In this, his fame was spreading like wildfire, not only in the Galilee, but in Judea and all around, even to the parts that were not part of Israel. And yet, remember Jesus had a cousin. His name was John the Baptizer. And this cousin of John was a righteous prophet. But though he was a righteous man and spoke the truth 
and set up the way for Jesus to come. He had been incarcerated by Herod Antipas and had been thrown into the desert fortress slash palace about five miles from the Dead Sea. And John would ultimately never get out of that place. If you know the rest of the story, we'll run across it in this series later on. As John languished in Maturus, that fortress, he became increasingly perplexed. He was beginning to have second thoughts, maybe even what we would call creeping doubts. And so much so that as things went on and it didn't seem like anything was breaking and yet from the outside he had his disciples, they were bringing intel about what Jesus was doing. And a lot of that, of course, was exciting and encouraging. But John knew the prophecy that he had come and had proclaimed. And at this point in time, some of that was there. But some of the other things that were supposed to be happening when the kingdom of God comes, they weren't happening. There was no sign of them. It, some things didn't match the prophecy he had preached about what Jesus, the Messiah, would do. And so he began to wonder, maybe, did, did I somehow get this all wrong? Did I get the wrong guy? Listen to what he, this is his original prophecy. Luke 3, 16 and 17. John answered them saying, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that part, that, 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 that's happening. But, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's wondering, where's the fire? If you're the Messiah, I've read my Bible, this has got to be happening. And I see no sign of it. So the doubts perhaps creeping in. You see, from all appearances, no house cleaning was going on in Israel. Things were supposed to be changing and all the bad people being tossed out and all the greedy. There was supposed to be a great reversal. 
but from some vantage points, it didn't appear to be happening. It was the same old system of corruption. It's just like the people we send to Washington. Different, wear different colors, different badges, but so often they're all incestuously tied together and have agendas that we don't even know about. That kind of corruption was going on then as well. And in time, disappointed and puzzled, John decided he'd send some of his messengers and ask this very important question. Are you the one who has come? The one who was to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Wow. Doubting that maybe this wasn't the one that everybody's been waiting for? Now, Jesus responded to John's inquirers with grace. He didn't say, what do you mean? Don't you know who I am? No. He just started stringing reality together and say, look around. <laughs> look here. Look there. And you see, John responded to the inquirers with a stunning display of spiritual power. Listen to this again. This is amazing. Verses 21 through uh, 23 or 22. In that hour, when, there was, when these messengers came, he healed many people and diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. In other words, that was already going on as they arrived. And while they were there, all of these kind of miracles were happening. And he, meaning Jesus, answered them when they said, are, are you it? Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them. Wow. Jesus was telling the messengers that his actions were the fulfillment of messianic prophecy given to Isaiah. So many places the Messiah was pointed out by Isaiah and Jesus is saying what you're seeing is happening right now. What was prophesied by Isaiah is coming to pass in your very presence in this moment, in this time. And so Jesus sent John's messengers back with him with overwhelming empirical and scriptural evidence that the Messiah was here. His power was flowing through Jesus. This was indisputable 
validation that indeed he is the promised Messiah. It's the first point, the Messiah. Now, listen, notice this, though. Take note that Jesus is saying, you, you better believe I am the one. Go tell John. Go tell my cousin. But take note that Jesus offered no explanation to John through his messengers. He didn't say, hey, wait a minute. Let me explain how this fire thing is going to go. No. He didn't offer any explanation as to why fiery judgment had not come. Nor did he offer John a get-out-of-jail-free card. Couldn't he have done that? course. He can raise somebody from the dead. He can sure get somebody out of Herod's crappy palace and prison. Didn't even come up. You see, those are the things that sometimes cause us to, to, to wonder, to maybe have doubts. But he said, I'm telling you the thing is going to be sure. You bank on that is what he was saying to John. Let all the other things be in my hand and my father's hand. <laughs> you're, you're, once again, you're trying. You're working out of your pay grade. You're, you're not there. Now the messengers, the messenger, excuse me, the messenger, the messenger is John. After, after sending John's disciples back, Jesus evidently was concerned that maybe uh, that, that he would end up um, uh, somehow, uh, Jesus was evidently uh, concerned that people might be kind of getting down on John. And therefore, he wanted to make sure that they understood John is a great man in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, he's the greatest in the kingdom of God born of women. So, Jesus started with this question. Who do you think John is? To all those around that gathered with him. Who do you think John is? And then he throws out this metaphor. He says, what did you come to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Now, obviously, that's a word picture. A, a reed blowing, uh, trying to hold its place, and the wind is blowing and almost to pull it up. You, it, it's, it's a metaphor for weakness. It's a metaphor for softness. Is that what you came to see? With John, implication, no, of course not. And they said, what did you expect to see? Some kind of unmasculine wimp? John wasn't afraid of anything. He was bold as a lion. No one owned him but God, and he kowtowed to no one. Then Jesus said, oh, 
You came to see a prophet. Indeed, you did, and rightly so, because he is the greatest of all prophets. But not just a, a prophet. He is the greatest of all. He is the hinge of redemptive history right between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That He's right on that hinge. And what Jesus is saying is greatest of all prophets. And then he says right after that, he goes on to say that the most obscure believer in the age of fulfillment of the promises of God. The most obscure believer in the age of fulfillment is greater than John. The great John the Baptist. John the Baptizer is not as great as a simple child that knows Jesus, that has believed the gospel. That's what Jesus says. Listen to this quote from Ralph Davis that helps put this in, in perspective. In his uh, commentary, The Year of the Lord's Favor. And you are not John the Baptist. He's talking to you and me. We're, we're not a great man like John the Baptist was. You are not John the Baptist, but perhaps only a relatively unknown believer in Jesus. And yet you enjoy a package of privileges Know a suffering Savior, and therefore having the comfort of a man of sorrows in your suffering, standing in the victory of Jesus' resurrection, so living with no final terror, having received the gift of the Spirit, and so enjoying the sense of His presence, Understanding that Jesus presently reigns at the right hand of God and that therefore you are in that place, the object of his attention and his intercession, and your privileges ought to multiply your gratitude. He says, You've got far greater privileges, far greater blessings, far Greater are you because of what Jesus has brought to his children, to his sheep. There is no comparison. We stand above the greatest of the old because of the new that Jesus brings. Now, finally, the message itself. So, there was a split reaction to what Jesus was saying. Some of the people were there that were being healed, and they were saying, yes, yes, that's right, that's the truth. That 
may God be glorified. God is just in what he does. And those are the people that had gone to John for baptism. Now, baptism doesn't save, didn't then, doesn't now. But you know what baptism points to? It points to repentance. The twofold thing that every person needs to have, they need to repent and believe the gospel. Did you hear that in the vows this morning? That's exactly what we're saying. What it makes us a Christian. We repent of our own sin and righteousness and we trust in the righteousness of Christ. And these folks were there. Some of them, Luke throws in a parenthetical phrase here and says some of these are saying, yes, that's the truth. That's right. That God be glorified. That's the truth. What Jesus is saying and what John did, that's, that is right. And yet, Luke tells us again, all of those religious leaders, all the Pharisees and the scribes of the law, they absolutely choked on it. It offended them. They didn't need that. Matter of fact, the text says they did not receive the baptism of John. Why? Because we're just fine, thank you. We don't need any stinking baptism. We don't have anything we need to repent of. And yet, Luke gives his readers that parenthetical summary. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees... And the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Oh, don't, don't, don't go away because this is going to intensify. It's been boiling for a while. It's going to get hotter. They're going to become more and more enraged and more and more opposed to John and Jesus Jesus said that John spoke of this generation. That phrase, this generation, John said this in verse 31. And it's a phrase that is not, uh, shall we say, uh, a, a, a good thing to be. This generation, this is the first use of that phrase by Luke in the gospel, but it consistently refers to those who oppose Jesus. So when you see the rest of the way through this generation, Jesus is not talking about them in a flattering way. He's basically saying these apostate unbelievers, these self-righteous, Jesus was saying, that's the way of unbelief in Israel, and nothing satisfies them, no matter what you do. And then he goes into this, he shows them how the playground 
perversity works out in Israel. Listen to verses 33 and 34. For John the Baptist has come eating and no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, they can't be satisfied. This generation, these religious leaders, they can't be satisfied. And they won't take either way. They're going to have a problem with anything John comes along with one way, they, had a, they opposed him. Jesus comes along a totally different way, and they opposed him. You see, John was too weird. Jesus was too wild. Ever thought about that? John was too weird, and Jesus was too wild. No matter how God speaks to his people, unbelief is not satisfied that these this generation they're never satisfied it will never be enough now Jesus closed his teaching with an axiom an axiom is remember not a, a lot of times people this is where people mishandle the scriptures they take an axiom like in Proverbs and they make it an absolute promise that is not the, correct an axiom is saying more times than not, if you do this this way, it'll turn out pretty well. But it's not a guarantee. It's an axiom. It's a general pattern. Jesus says at the end of this text, wisdom is vindicated by her children. Now, what is that axiom? What is that? What is it driving at? To boil it down, it's simply this. People of power often think they have the truth, and they feel therefore justified in crushing those who disagree with them. It's exactly how these religious leaders that were listening to Jesus and around him and taking notes all the time. They would never be satisfied with him. And they believed you don't do things our way. And therefore you can't be who you say you are. They always feel justified in crushing those that don't believe and do things the same way they did. Literally all the way to the cross. But time, Jesus says, will reveal. Time will reveal who has believed correctly. Jesus is saying, right now, nobody sees how this is going to unfold. But the time is coming. Other side of the grave. Other side and before long, a whole known world becomes overrun with Christianity. In time, the proof will be in the pudding. That's what Jesus is saying. 
You just don't, you're in this moment and you can't see it now. But trust, my way will be the right way. It will be the way of the gospel and truth. Do you know the friend of sinners? Have you put your trust in him? Have you repented and believed? I hope so. If not, let this be the day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for again sending John, a great man, the greatest of men of his time. But Father, thank you that we, because of what Jesus has done and for what he's given us, we now know the friend of sinners is our righteousness and he is our advocate and he is the one that will safely lead us home, no matter where that may lead in between. And Father, thank you for allowing us to be, have so many blessings and so many privileges in the new kingdom of God that Jesus has brought and is bringing. And Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine what our closing hymn is. It's sometimes known as uh, that, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Uh, our great Savior is the other way it's known. Let's stand and sing together.
Now receive his good word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Amen.